Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thank you for joining us today, taking the time out of your busy life to be here and listen to the word of the Lord. I thank everybody for joining us here in our small little house church. And I also thank everybody for joining wherever you may be listening, whether it be all over the world, because we have a website and we're on SoundCloud and we're thankful to be there. We're thankful for all of our listeners and all of our followers on there. If you want to know more about the church or what we believe, you can go to gospelsavingchurch.com. And uh, that's our website. And there's also my phone numbers at the bottom of there. If you ever wanted to contact me or talk to me, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. We're new. We've only not even been in church one full year yet. But God is blessing us all with wisdom and ability. And we love the Lord here. We love yes. the Lord much. Yes. Praise God. Praise be to God. So yes. we just, uh, we're going to pray. I ask everybody to turn off their cell phones and get rid of distractions before we start. And uh, if you guys will join me in a word of prayer. And then we'll get to the, our teaching. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. I pray you keep distractions down, Lord God. I pray you keep Satan out, keep Christ in. Keep your Holy Spirit running this service. And keep the devil bound, Lord God, outside of these walls, outside of our heads. I just ask and pray, Lord, that these words that I speak for you today, from your holy word, your holy infallible word, the Holy Bible, that these words would resonate in people's minds and hearts forever. And that these words will go through the, to the ends of the world, touching people's hearts, Lord. Growing your children stronger unto you and winning those that don't know you to Christ. That they would, instead of just believe in you, that they would totally surrender to you yes. and be yours. Give me the ability today, Lord God, to do this preaching, to speak these words, Lord, in a way where your Holy Spirit would make them like power. These words come like power out of my mouth, Lord. And may whoever hears them, wherever they hear them, they stick in their minds, Lord. Like peanut butter sticks on your tongue when you have it, when you have no milk to drink or no water, Lord. I pray these words would stick on people's brains, Lord, and stay there, Lord God, until you accomplish in them what you want to accomplish in them, Lord. And I pray you would just have rain within us, Lord God, all that listen, Jesus, I pray you'd have rain within us, free rain, yes. to do what you so choose, Lord. I pray everybody would listen, Lord, would be the clay, and you would be the potter, yes. and that we'd all just be moldable before you. Lord, I pray you bless the message, and bless those that hear. May they be here. May they not be hearers only, but doers as well. And I ask these things, and I pray them all in the precious and powerful and holy name of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, if you guys want to open up to Matthew chapter nine, we're going to be in verses one through eight. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. The title of our message today, 
Their feet had faith. Their feet had, their faith had feet. Excuse me, thank you, Lord. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, let's read it, and then we'll go back and we'll teach on it. 9-1. So he, Jesus, got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he, the man, arose and departed to his own house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. So what is the first thing we notice right off the bat in Matthew 9, 1? Let's read it, just that first little part of 9, 1. 9, 1, so it says, the Bible says, So he, Jesus, got into a boat. Remember 8, 34, I'll read it again for us. And we read Matthew 8, 34. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So what's the very first thing that I saw that God showed me in preparing for this message is Jesus did not argue with the people. They wanted him to go. They didn't want him to be there. They asked him to leave. Now you may sit there and think, well, if I was God... I'd have a lightning bolt. Yeah, you know, I know. I've thought that many times myself. But, you know, we don't see Jesus arguing at all. He doesn't press himself. He didn't push himself. He could have, with one word, silenced every mouth, just like he silenced the demons that he had just sent out of those that were possessed there. But he didn't. He just got up, Went and sat in the boat, pushed off. This is very, very, very important that we act like Jesus in this. Many, many, many zealous Christians who really love Jesus, including myself, have, and even have been guilty of it recently, push what they believe about Jesus Christ on others. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't, as Christians that follow Christ, go out and tell people about Jesus? Absolutely not. What I am saying is that if somebody expresses, you know what, man, I, I, I know you, I hear you, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, I, I don't want to talk to you about Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk about him. You know, I, I have my beliefs and I'm good. Leave me alone. What I am saying is at that point, we ought to leave. Because Jesus left, and a real Christian is a follower of Christ. 
And Jesus could have argued. He could have stood up and said, but what? Uh, didn't you just see what I just did? Didn't you just see the miracle that I just performed before you? Look, I mean, look at what I just did. Look at the power that I just exerted. Look at, look at how I, look at what I did. But he didn't do that. He just got into a boat and he left. In Matthew 10, 5 through 15, Jesus is giving directions to his disciples about the same issue. Verse 5 of Matthew 10 says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Speaking of who they were supposed to go preach to. And he says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gives them command, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. He says, freely you have received, freely give. He says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, so don't really even prepare for the trip, just go. Nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor two sand, nor sandals, nor staffs, for the work worker is worthy of his food. And whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But, it is not, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to it. And listen to these next words that he's telling them. In their directions to who they're going out to, to who they're going to talk to about Christ as they're traveling from town to town, entering home after home. In verse 14 he says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, Shake the dust, shake, shake the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. So, as we're going to preach the gospel, as we go out there to proclaim the truth, if somebody doesn't want to hear, I'll pray for you, man. I'm shaking the dust off my feet. If you don't want to hear me, it'd be more tolerable, and you can even say that to them if you want, in love, of course. It would be more tolerable in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah, the day of judgment, than it will be for you. Because you know what? He's Jesus Christ. He's the judge of all the earth. So, and, But you got to leave him alone. You can't push. We can't be forceful. We can't. We just got to push on. We just got to move on and pray for them. There's nothing we can do. Jesus here in 10, 5 through 15, basically practices what he is showing by his life example here in verse 9, chapter 1 of Matthew can't force people to talk to them about Jesus Christ. So that's just something we see, 9-1. Second part of 9-1 we see, well look, he says, so we got into the boat, we talked about that already, 9-1, second part, he crossed over and came to his city. What did he do first of all? How did he leave? He got into the boat. So I just wondered, spend about like 30 seconds to a minute on this, I just wonder, his disciples were with him, and I just wonder, you know, they get out on the sea. Remember from the from the pan into the fire, his disciples were with him. And so I wonder, just wonder if right before they got back into the boat, the disciples were like, oh, hope there's hope the weather's clear. Because <laughs> after all, they had just come off the sea and had, and had some terrible, terrible time on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And you just wonder what was going on in their minds. It had to be trust. They had to be trusted in God because, oh boy, well, I hope it doesn't. 
hope it doesn't storm out there again. I just, it's an interesting thing to think about that they got, and they got back in the boat. You know, they could have walked around, but it's a big sea. They couldn't have, so they got back in the boat. So where did they go? It says in 9.1, it says that they came to his own city. Now that would be Nazareth, right? You would have figured he'd have crossed over, and they'd have gone back to his own city, Nazareth. Why do I say Nazareth? That's what the scripture says back in Matthew chapter 2. We have the travels of Jesus as a baby with Mary and Joseph because Herod had put the death threats against him. And Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. And then back in Matthew 2.19, it said they were headed back to Israel, probably back to Bethlehem, but they were given a detour. Matthew 22 or 2.22 and 23, it said that they went back. I'll just read it for you. It says, Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. So he shall be called a Nazarene. But there's a problem with that, and God showed me this brand new in this scripture today, in this study that I did for this week. I never knew this before. But there is a tremendous contradiction in the Bible if they crossed over the sea and they went to Nazareth. Well, you say, well, what do you mean? The Bible doesn't have any contradictions. Well, I don't believe that. Because when you look at a map of Israel, and I challenge you to, I've done lots of homework on this to make sure I'm right on this now, because I just don't want to teach something that's false. But Nazareth is at least 30 miles inland from the Sea of Galilee. But when you read the scripture here today, crossed over, came to his own city, then behold, and one brought to him a, a paralytic. So there wasn't a 30-mile journey before they came and docked at the sea, and then they went in on. It doesn't say, then they traveled all that day. It would have said something like that. This, as we read in 9.2, is a something that happened right after they got back to shore. So wait a minute. If his own city was Nazareth, but the Bible says it was his own city and he came and Nazareth was not on the sea. What's going on? Is the Bible, did, did, the right, did Matthew make an error when he said Matthew was a Hebrew. He knew Israel very, very, very well. So what does the Bible say by his own city? It's Nazareth, right? Well, guess what? It's not Nazareth. His own city is not Nazareth. If you want to go back to Matthew chapter 4, we'll give the answer here, verses 12 through 16. Matthew 4, 12 to 16. The Bible says, here, I'll read it to you. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt, or lived, in Capernaum which is by the sea, how about that, in the regions of Zebulun of Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. So here in this scripture, we find if you have a map of Israel in front of you, because I did when I was doing this study, Guess what? Capernaum is right off of the Sea of Galilee, which is why Matthew can write, verse 1, and he crossed over and came 
to his own city. Because it couldn't be his own city if it was Nazareth, Nazareth, because Nazareth was 30 miles inland. So, just by coincidence, the Bible's right again. But isn't the Bible such a deep book? It's so amazing, and I'm constantly learning new things, and I'm just so excited about the things that God is showing me, and then I just get to pass them on to other people as I teach the Word of God. So, praise God, no contradiction. His own city at this time, since Matthew chapter 4, was Capernaum. It was no longer Nazareth. So, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, back to our text. Let's look at verse 2. Let's read it. The Bible says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic, laying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. So Jesus and the disciples get back to Capernaum, and what happens? What's the very first thing that happens as they get back to Capernaum? They, a lot of they's in that day, brought this paralyzed man who was laying on a bed, and they came and they stood before Jesus. And what did they want, of course? Well, the man was paralyzed, and the people then, probably his friends, wanted a healing. They wanted this man to be healed. Like I said, sure were a lot of dedicated days back then. And it says in verse 2 that Jesus saw their faith. Well, wait a minute. What does that statement mean? Jesus saw their faith. I don't understand that. Isn't faith invisible? After all, faith, I have faith. Everybody has faith in something. Every time somebody, in fact, goes to sit down, they have faith that the chair is going to be there. But nevertheless, you don't see their faith as they go to sit down. They just sit down. Well, the definition, the number one definition of faith in dictionary.com is confidence or trust in a person or a thing, faith in another's ability. The Greek word here for faith is pistis, which is the proper, de which there's uh, several definitions in there for pistis, but in the one pertaining to this scripture here, it, it says, belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence, whether in God or in Christ, springing from faith in the same. So here, Jesus saw their faith. How could he see their faith? But because their faith had feet. Their faith in God, their faith in Jesus Christ, led them to come before Jesus, led them with this man on a bed to walk and to come before Jesus because they were desiring for Jesus or for this man to be healed. So what's one thing we don't see in this scripture? What's one thing we don't even read in this scripture, it, look at verse 2 again. I'm going to read it. Then behold, they brought to him a, paral a, paral a paralytic laying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins forgive you. What's one thing we didn't see? We didn't ever see them even ask Jesus for anything. They didn't ask him with words for Jesus to heal their friend. Well, James 2.20 said that faith without works is dead. 
here in verse 2 of today's scripture, these guys' faith produced a work like James said. So although they didn't say, hey Jesus, we need some healing on this guy. Hey Jesus, we need something here. Their faith showed what they wanted. Their faith that they actually came and stood before Jesus actually showed what they wanted. Their friend who had been paralyzed for who knows how long. And Jesus believed, and they believed that Jesus could fix him. So they brought the sick man to Christ. So what is Jesus' faith? What is Jesus' response to their faith? What does Jesus do in response to their faith? He heals the man's legs right away, right? <clears throat> Wrong. He didn't heal the guy's legs. Right there. Son, end of verse 2. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Wait a minute. He saw their faith. They wanted the man to be healed, but he didn't heal the man's legs. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Why, why did he do that? If they had faith to be healed, why didn't he just heal the man's legs? Because what he did first and foremost is he healed the man's sickness, his first sickness. And what was it? The man was a sinner. The man lived, he was a sinner. He was separated by God by his sin. Jesus' main and absolute first and foremost priority is to get us healed from our very first sickness, and that's our sickness of sin. The Bible says that we're all born into sin. And what that means is we're born into sin. That means that we're born separated from God by our sinful nature. So Jesus here saw his main problem and he fixed it right away. Notice also the only sickness or disease that sends people to hell is their sickness and disease of sin. People that are blind aren't going to go to hell because they're blind. People aren't going to go to hell because they can't walk or because they got an arm chopped off or a leg chopped off or they had to have a, a kidney transplant or a liver transplant and they're, they're in a wheelchair or they're bedridden. They're not going to go to hell because of those sicknesses and those diseases. People aren't even going to go to hell if they have the flu or pneumonia or, or any disease for that matter. But they certainly will go to hell because their sins will not be forgiven them. They reject the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here, Jesus knew this man had deeper problems than him being paralyzed. This man needed spiritual healing even more than he needed physical healing. And what God does, God is so good and God is so loving, He always wants to fix, or excuse me, God fixes and does what we need done. God always wants to fix what we, what we need fixed. He hardly ever, and we hardly ever really know what we need. We know what we want. We know what we desire. 
oh, I really just really want that. If only this were like this, oh, it'd just, just be so much better. And so many times, what do we do? We come before God and we present our requests to Him and those are things that we want. But thanks be to God, He doesn't always give us what we want, but He certainly gives us exactly what we need. This man and his friends only looked at this guy's want. This guy wanted to walk. Wouldn't you? If you were paralyzed and you couldn't have you'd have legs? Absolutely. Man, I want to walk. Hey, and there's a healer in town. This guy can heal anybody. Let's take me. Come on, guys, take me. This guy can heal me. Anybody would be in that same situation. Anybody would feel the same way. I want to walk. Let's go. But to their surprise, <laughs> Jesus didn't even heal them. He just said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I could imagine that while the guy was laying there on the mat and his friends were standing there, they're, they're probably scratching their heads going, what? What do you mean my sins are forgiven me? What, what is I want to walk, dude. I want to walk. I'm sure they're thinking that in their hearts. <laughs> but Jesus, being God, and we'll look at that next, his name in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. Yes. And he's our great provider. He gives us exactly what we need because He's faithful. Not just because we want it, but because we need it. God will provide it for us. But of course, Jesus wasn't looking at their hearts because He probably knew them. But in Scripture, we don't look at their hearts because I'm sure they were like, well, excuse me. He, We had other onlookers this week. Like we had last week, we had other onlookers. And they're called the scribes here. Look in verse 3. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. At once, the scribes said, This man blasphemes. And what did they think about what Jesus said? They thought he was speaking blasphemous words. The Greek word, for, the Greek word here for blaspheme is blasphemo. It's defined as to speak reproachfully. To rail at, to revile, to calumniate, to blaspheme. And why did they consider it blasphemy, the words that Jesus spoke? Because Jesus just said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And they called it blasphemy because those words spoken by a mere man are blasphemy. Because no one, the Bible says, can forgive sins but God alone. And you know what? They're right. Only God can forgive sins. And that was what was right for them to think that part of it. Only God can forgive sins. So wait a minute here. If only God can forgive sins, and Jesus forgave the sins of this man here, is Jesus trying to tell us something? You think there might have been a deeper message here that Christ was trying to say to people? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, only God can forgive sins. Absolutely, you bet your bottom dollar that He was. Amen. You bet your bottom dollar that He was. He was making a bold 
statement here. What he was doing was he was making himself before all these people that were watching. He was making a bold statement. I am equal with God. And I am God himself. Amen. Only God can forgive sins. Here, he was just being himself. Doing what himself would do. But it just so happens that himself was God. Himself was God. In John 10.30, Jesus is having an argument with some religious leaders. And they were discussing the same topic. And Jesus, right at the very end, says to them, I and my Father are one. So it's a no-brainer there. It's a no-brainer here. If only God can forgive sins and Jesus forgave this man of his sins, Jesus was saying, I am God. Just like he said in John 10.30. Just like, in fact, all that the Bible says from cover to cover that Jesus Christ is God. So I sit here and I ask Christians, and if there's any Muslims that are listening as well too, to ask yourself here, Muslims, if only God could forgive sins, Muhammad never gave, never forgave anybody of their sins, Buddha never forgave anybody of their sins, only Jesus Christ forgave people of their sins. So Muslim, I ask you to ask yourself, is your religion right? Could your religion be right? Jesus is just a prophet. Prophets don't forgive sins. Prophets don't forgive sins. And Christians who have Muslim friends out there who, who argue that point, is Jesus God? Well, bring them to this scripture here. It would be Matthew chapter 9, the first eight verses. Jesus forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus forgave sins. You can challenge Muslim friends with this passage because what is their, going to be their explanation? All they can say is, the, well, the Bible's flawed in that point because they can't argue with the fact that Jesus forgives sins. Only God can get forgive sins. Moving on, read verses 3 and 4 with me. And yet, as we're going to see in verses 3 and 4, we're going to see yet another proof of Christ being God. Read three over with me. And at once some of the scribes said, within themselves. That's a key. They said it within themselves. In case you didn't pick that up when I read it the first time, they said it within themselves. That means, folks, that they didn't say it out loud. They said it in their hearts. They said it within their minds. Beginning of verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Listen to the words that he says. Why do you think evil in your hearts? He didn't say, Why did you say those words against me? No, sir or ma'am. He said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? How did he know 
what they were thinking. Interesting. You can turn there. It's just four verses, but we're going to go to Psalm 139, 1 through 4, where the Bible were, I believe if I'm wrong, I could be wrong, I believe it's King David wrote this psalm, Psalm 139, 1 through 4. In verse 1 of Psalm 139, 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Go back to verse 1, O Lord. In case you're wondering, well, people called Jesus Lord. Maybe, maybe you know, this was Psalm was written while Jesus was alive. Well, it wasn't because it's in Hebrew, number one. And the Old Testament written in Hebrew. The statement was made about the Lord, verse 1. The word Lord in Hebrew is Jehovah. Yahweh. Defined as the word Lord in Psalm 139, right about 800 years before Christ lived. Jehovah, the existing one, the proper name of the one true God, is the word, O Lord, in Psalm 139. Look at the trait there in Psalm 139, verse 4. But, O Lord, you could say verse 1, go down to 4. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, you know it all together. The trait that David ascribes to Jehovah, the existing one, the proper name of the one true God, is the same trait that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who says I'm God, the one who says I'm equal with God, he exhibits that same trait here in Matthew 9, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus is God, folks. And he knew their thoughts. Only God could know the thoughts of another human being. Can a man know? We can kind of know by somebody's body language, but we can't read their thoughts. Only God, Psalm 139.4, knows the thoughts, knows the words people are going to say before they speak them. I challenge anybody that doesn't believe that Jesus is God to challenge these scriptures that I just read today and look at them for yourself and say, could Jesus really not be God, knowing the thoughts of man? Forgiving somebody of their sins. Jesus is absolutely God. Moving on, verse 4. End of verse 4. Well, I'll read the whole thing. I love the Bible. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in their hearts? So the thought that they think, excuse me, the thought that they had thought within themselves, how did Jesus classify the thought that they thought? They thought it was evil. And what thought did he call evil? The one that said, I can forgive sins. So in essence, Jesus is saying again here, that not believing that he is God is an evil thought. 
Because blasphemy is only done by somebody that's not God. He said it, not me. Because if God forgives sins, it's not blasphemy. If you have a problem with Jesus calling himself God, the Bible Christians saying that Jesus is God, then you have a problem with, I just read four verses here out of just one chapter of Matthew. We, we aren't even talking about the whole Bible. We're just talking about Matthew four verses. So Jesus goes on in verse 5 to say, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in their hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. Arise and walk. So Jesus asked them a question. And it's a very good question that Jesus asked them, actually. Because in essence, they kind of initially have a point. Anybody can say, I forgive you of your sins. Because you know what? Nothing manifests in the real world because somebody can say that. Anybody can say, hey, I forgive you of your sins. Anybody can say that. Nothing has to happen. Nothing physical happens when somebody says, I forgive you of, my, of your sins, my son. Any, anybody. So they have a kind of a good beef here. Because Jesus doesn't give any more or less than what's needed. And so what he did here is he gave what was needed. Because without the manifestation of any real power, anybody could really just say, oh, come on. Anybody can forgive sins. I could say it right now. Hey, hey, uh, boy, uh, your sins are forgiven. So what? Nothing happens. Nothing real in the physical world is able to be seen by people that don't have any faith. Okay? So the question that he asked them is a good one because he knows what's in their hearts. Manifestations of his spoken words would be when Jesus stood up in the boat and said, Wind and waves stop, and then everything stopped. That, that's a miracle you could see right away. So I don't doubt at all Jesus forgave this man of his sins, and his sins were forgiven, but those there, those today, well, Jesus is not God. Jesus can't forgive sins. I don't know, I believe that. He just said those words, just like these guys were thinking, and that's blasphemy. They weren't seeing the waves and the sea and the storm calming down. Jesus, they didn't see Jesus when he looked at the fig tree, and he said, fig tree withered to the ground. And it withered to the ground. Those words you could see. So what does Jesus do here to prove himself to them that he was not blaspheming? What does he do to show them that he can forgive sins? That he's even qualified to forgive somebody of their sins? That he is really God? What does he do to prove himself to these people, to the doubting people of this world even today? He does verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now, in a split second here, the moment he said that, you got to know that the whole crowd was silent. That not nobody was moving or stirring. Nobody was saying a word. You probably could have heard a pin drop. 
And why? Because if this man wouldn't have gotten up, Jesus Christ was a fraud. He would have been a fraud. Not able to manifest any real power for the naked eye to see. He would have been a fraud. The crowd, I could imagine, them, was probably on the edge of their seats. What's going What's going to happen? Is that guy really going to stand up? So what happens? Verse 7. So he, the man, arose and departed to his own house. Awesome miracle. And Jesus stamping with real-life power in the manifestation of people's eyes so they could see that he really is and he really he really is God and that he really can manifest real power Amen. to show that he can forgive sins that he really is the Christ yes. that he really is God awesome miracle but please don't ever lose sight of why Jesus did it. Read verse 6 again. He did this particular miracle here. Verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. The man had gotten the healing that he really needed. He got the healing that he was really in need of but so that the people there would know that he is who he claimed to be, he showed to the naked eye the power of God that he spoke to the man and the man rose up and he went to his own house. How important is it that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? How important is it that we believe that Jesus Christ is God and the Son of God? It's absolutely foundational. And why? John 3.18, the Bible says, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Sounds pretty important, huh? It's foundationally important that Jesus Christ is God and the Son of God. It's absolutely foundational. These scriptures here in John 2.11, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. I'm sorry, he's just gone to the wedding at Cana. And he made the water, turned the water into wine. And at the very end in verse 2.11, John chapter 2.11, it says at the very end, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And if you know the book of John at all, the book of John, almost every, all the a lot of the miracles Jesus did, John 2.22, he was talking about the cleansing of the temple. He was doing the cleansing of the temple. In John 2.22, at the end of that, the disciple said, the disciple John writes, Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, 
his disciples remembered that he had said to them what that he had said to them and they believed the scripture and the word what Jesus had said so it's absolutely foundationally concretely you can't move about you can't move past it to the left you can't move past it to the right can't move above it can't move below it but it's absolutely foundational to your faith that Christ Jesus is God and is the son of God and that's what we see in our scripture here so now saying all this and Jesus putting such an emphasis on that aspect of himself here in today's encounter we got to look into must have been enough to prove to everybody that was there that he was the son of God and God, right? It must have been absolutely, I mean, look what he did, right? It must, people there must have said, this is the Christ. This is the son of God. It, it's got to be, right? And look at verse 8, I'll read it. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Huh? Can you feel the heart of God break? Can you feel the heart of Christ break? Why? Sure, they gave God glory. And sure, they marveled. But look what they said of Jesus. They marveled. They gave God glory that he gave such power to men. They didn't give Jesus the recognition that was due to him. They just attributed that God had given power to men. How sad this is that Jesus even stood there among them. And they didn't even, and they just didn't, they heard his words and they still chose not to believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. Isn't that sad? In closing, where are you at with Jesus Christ today? Where are you at with him today? Would you classify yourself as a believer? Or would you say you just believe in God maybe? We read today a little bit about how important it is to God to have a correct belief in who Jesus Christ really is. But is having a belief, and even believing that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, is that enough for your salvation? Is that enough to make God happy, just believing that Jesus Christ is God and is the Son of God? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And what is the will of God? Well, back, Peter walking along, Peter, J Jesus walking along with Peter, James, and John, walks up on the Mount of Transfiguration, because Jesus was transfigured there before them all, and stood there with Moses and Elijah. And as they were standing there, the voice of God came in while they were standing there and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. So it's not quite enough to even believe that Jesus Christ is God and is the Son of God. It's not quite enough. Now, it is foundational, 
But there we just read that it's not just enough to believe. We must not only believe, but we must then take our belief and then follow Jesus. So what does a relationship with Christ Jesus look like? We'll call it the three-step salvation program. Everybody likes programs, right? We have the 12 steps of AA. We've got Now we've got the three steps of the salvation program. Here's your first step. First step comes in believing part. We must believe that Jesus Christ is absolutely who he said that he is and that he can save us from our sins. That he is God and that he is the Son of God and able to do all things. We must believe that he is who he said that he was. Because, absolutely, you can't follow, you can't have faith in Jesus Christ unless you first believe in him. Unless you first believe that he is who he said that he was. Second step, after you believe, God wants you to put your trust in Christ Jesus for your salvation. And he wants you to surrender surrender the control of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Basically, this is kind of letting Jesus, making a decision to let Jesus Christ take control of the way you live. That's step number two. And step number three, of course, is making a decision to repent. Or consistently, constantly, day after day after day, turn away from the sin which the Bible says so easily ensnares you and continue to make a decision to follow Christ and obey his teaching. So three easy words that we can think of. Believe, trust, and follow. Trust and obey. There's no other way. And it regards, transpires into your eternal salvation as well too. Believe, trust, and follow. Are you a biblical Christian? If you are and you follow Christ and you trust in Him every day for your salvation and you live for Him and you can say, I love Jesus and I, and I follow Him, I do the things that He tells me to do, then praise God that I exhort you today to continue in whatever God has called you to do in your life every day, to continue to let your faith have feet. To continue to pray, to continue to seek God, continue to trust in God. To continue to not worry about things that are going on in your life. Because how do we show God that we really trust Him? Is we don't worry. How do we show God that we trust Him, but we keep praying for those people in our lives that don't know Jesus and we want God to save them? We keep praying if we've got an illness. We keep praying and asking God to heal us because we know that He absolutely has the ability to do that. We keep coming just like the they came to Jesus then and they come and stood before him we today come before Jesus Christ with our prayers and our supplications and we come how does that look what does that look like we shut the world out we go to our room and we pray and we act on what we believe and we continue to pray we continue to ask we continue to seek every day Day in and day out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord God, that Jesus Christ is who he said that he is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that not only is he the Son of God, but you and God the Father and Jesus Christ, you're the same as well, too. We don't even know how that all works, but Jesus said me and the Father are one, so we must believe it. And here, Lord God, we saw Jesus forgive sins and then and then absolutely put the stamp on it by making the guy stand up and walk, Lord. Just to prove to them that he was who he said that he was. Thank you, Lord God, that you revealed yourself to us today. Thank you, Lord God, that you revealed your son, Jesus Christ, to us today. Thank you so much. I just pray right now, dear God, for any that may be listening that aren't yours. I pray, God, that they would take that step from believing which your word said is not enough to putting their not to not only believing but putting their faith in and trusting Christ to save them and turning to you and letting you have their lives letting you take control of their lives Lord God because believing is just not enough we must surrender to after we believe and then we must turn away from the way in which we live where we don't honor you and make a decision to start putting you first in our lives and living for you completely with our whole heart. So believing in you, putting our trust in you and surrendering to you, and turning away from self and not living in the sin that we know that you so absolutely hate. I pray right now, God, if there's anybody out there that's that way, I pray that they would cry out to you right now, realizing that they're not right with you and surrender all to you and fall down and ask for forgiveness and surrender their lives to you. And I pray for us, dear God, that are yours. I pray, dear God, that we would continue to let our faith have feet and continue to come in prayer and supplication every day for the lost. Continue letting our faith have feet, walking out there, letting and talking to people about Jesus and saying, God, you'll meet me. You're going to give me the words. I don't know them, but you're going to give them to me as we go out and we continue to be a light for Christ and tell us about you. As we continue to stand on your promises of eternal life and we, as we continue to stand, which is faith, on all the promises that your holy, awesome word gives to us and trusting in you daily, God. I pray you'd strengthen all of us that are yours. And help us to go stronger in our faith every day. And Lord God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray you'd come quickly. Lord, I pray you'd save the lost. And you should reveal yourself to them today. And bring multitudes to Christ today. I love you. We love you, Lord. I just praise you. And I thank you for all these things and all your words. In Jesus' name, amen.